my father-in-law got smoked first or fried? Yeah, yeah. smoked first. My father-in-law got a big green egg. Oh, uh, dude, I want one of those so bad. Me too. You didn't have one of like the gonna blow yourself up fryers, did you? Like the propane ones? Fuck yeah. How else am I gonna fucking fry a 15 pound bird? Dude, whatever the one that the we tabletop got is. fryer? No. no. It's a I don't know, it's a big ass one. Fry a big ass turkey in there. No, no. I want propane, I want danger. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. This week, we're going to send Jimmy Garoppolo to Canton right this very moment. Trust me, he deserves it. Uh, apparently, you cannot buy a ticket to Michael Bennett's house for $17, but that will get you into Levi's for a tilt against the Seahawks. And Eric Branch loves him some Jimmy Garoppolo. His love for him runs deeper than the deepest river. It's bigger than the tallest mountain. Some other thing that I can't think of right now. I mean, his love for I mean, Jimmy is real. He's basically Rose in the Titanic, and Jimmy Garoppolo is Leo DiCaprio. But he would actually move over to the side of the of the door to give him room to get out of the ocean yeah, because right. there was enough room on that damn door. I mean, that's true. All, yeah. all things are true. Uh, Eric Branch, we love you, and we love your love for Jimmy G. But this was, uh, this was a game against Seattle, though. Uh, it was a game. It was a thing. It happened. It happened. They played it on Sunday. Yeah. They tend to do that yeah. from time to time. Football. Uh, it, it was, look, we're going to get right into the things that we think because this was another game that was, was kind of boring, not going to lie, until the very last, you know, three, four plays. But <laughs> for, first thing we think is that the 49ers defense played well enough to win. This was a game that the defense, it, you, you can't put this game on the shoulders of the defense. It was like seven to six going into the half. It wasn't like the defense was getting thrown around. And this was, I mean, it, the, the script was playing out just like you wanted it to if you're the 49ers. Keep it close. Give your offense, you know, kind of keep them within striking distance. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, things kind of fell apart in the second half. But it, I don't think this was overall on the defensive shoulders. Definitely. I mean, the, the seven points even in the first half, that only came after an interception that set him up with the ball inside the red zone already. I think they started that drive at like the 16-yard line or something like that. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's I think considering especially like the number of injuries that you're dealing with defensively, uh, I think it's very difficult to ask more of those guys on, on, on that side of the ball um, than what we saw from them on Sunday. I mean, yeah, eventually, you know, it just became too much. But to give your offense a chance to not have to be in that state that they seem to constantly be in this year, which is the we have, to, you know, we're 20 points behind. We have to throw the ball every single down. We're not really built to do that right now. We don't have an offensive line that can handle that. We don't have a quarterback that can handle it. All of our receivers are hurt. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like a, a, a very, very poor situation for this 49ers offense. You give them the ability, though, to uh, stick with the run a little bit more, you know, get Beathard on play action a little bit, and and kind of you have a chance there, right? They're still not great. They still have problems offensively, but that's kind of where you give yourself a chance to, to keep things close, and I think the defense definitely did that. Yeah, the, the 49ers this year have the fourth highest pass rate in games, uh, and they still lead the league uh, in pace. So, I mean, they're constantly behind all the time, and those are the two numbers that tell you that they are. But this was kind of going according to script, and the 49ers' game plan going in seemed like they were intent on containing, not pressuring Russell Wilson. Of course, the first time we played the Seattle Seahawks, we had an absurd pressure rate. We got to him seemingly at will, 
and this time we seem to throw the change up. Robert Sala never brought more than five rushers at all throughout the entire game. He had several fire zone rushes, and that meant that, of course, he did our favorite thing in the whole wide world, which was <laughs> drop defensive linemen into coverage. And, and yeah, I mean, that seems to be the, the staple of the Sala defense is the fire zone, and that means you're typically going to drop a defensive lineman, usually the defensive end, into coverage. Hey, man, he's not even, you know, he's going to give everybody a chance. Equal opportunity, D lineman, dropper into coverage. Hey, man. Uh, Sheldon Day got welcome to the team. That's right. For, what was it, the fourth snap of the game, I yes. think, that he drops back into coverage? Um, yeah. And, and technically, he was like more of a spy, but that might even be worse. Because you're going to make Sheldon Day spy Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson juked Reuben Foster. Like, th- this is how athletic Russell Wilson is. You're not going to put Sheldon Day, unless Sheldon Day can use his, like, dreadlocks as a weapon to take down. That's not going to happen. It's just not. <laughs> oh, God. And, I mean, no, it's not. It's, it's really a disaster. I'm just imagining, like, Dr. Octopus, but, like, Sheldon Day's, like, dreads. That would, what would I mean, if he did that, if Wilson did that to Foster in the open field, like, what would happen if he was one-on-one with Day? Would Day just kind of, like, crumble to the ground? Or would, or would he, he would. just, like, or would he just, like, even just run away? Like, wouldn't even give him the time of day to juke him to the ground like just run, run away from him no he would he would literally just like fall over his own leg and fall into a in a, a heap of hopelessness um but it, I, th- I thought it was interesting i mean that they they did come with a little bit of a different strategy this time um in in terms of you know we're not going to worry a whole lot i mean wilson is is you know been very good against pressure that's like he, that's his constant state. I mean, he's he's been with a terrible offensive line for his entire career, essentially. Like, that's what Seattle's offense is, is Russell Wilson creating things that shouldn't be there in, you know, in the passing game a lot of the time. And uh, I, I think with the 49ers, I think it made sense. I mean, obviously, it didn't work out, right? The, they pressured him a ton in the first game. That didn't go very well. So I think, you know, trying to take it somewhat of a different approach and, and basically saying that, like, hey, we're playing with seven or eight guys in coverage on basically every snap. Um, and we're going to, you know, try to basically maintain rush lanes. We're not going to, you know, be going out of our way to you saw, you know, some stunts here and there. But for the most part, it was we want just to try our best to keep him corralled in one spot and then throw into heavy coverage. And um, you know, I think it worked well for a lot of the game, you know, even when he was making plays out of structure, it wasn't really creating a ton of positive plays, right? I think he had the one play to, to Baldwin that comes to mind, uh, that was kind of off, off to the right-hand side of the field. But for the most part, it was just him avoiding negative plays, right? He avoided some sacks and did some things there, uh, that he's gonna, you know, that you're going to get with him. You just have to deal with, but, uh, he wasn't really creating these big, huge plays out of structure that, that can really kill your defense. So let's take a minute to to just think about what Russell Wilson did out of structure because it is incredibly frustrating to watch him. Oh, my God. You mentioned it when we were watching film last night, and you're like, you know, Russell Wilson's the the last player that I still have that urge to just be like, knock the shit out of him every time he's back there running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And you're right. Like, I... Even though I still love to watch him play, he is a legitimately yeah. awesome football player. He has one of the prettiest, you know, deep balls I think that that gets underrated by lots because he's always under duress. And yet, I just want someone to get a clean hit on this mother. Like, dude, it's it's crazy. I mean, it, yeah, playing anyone else, like I 
big Russell Wilson fan. Like I like watching him play and even though he's, you know, probably a robot in real life, um, nano bubbles, bro. <laughs> like, uh, he's, he's an incredibly entertaining player to watch when he's not playing the Niners. And he's like that guy. I mean, I don't really, I mean, obviously, you know, I hope nobody is rooting for injury or anything like that. Obviously we mentioned before, but even, even then, like looking at players on, you know, say like the Cardinals or the Rams, like I don't really, I'm at, I, I'm at a point where like I'm more interested in kind of like the strategic parts of the game that I don't uh, necessarily have as much emotion there uh, as, as I used to. You're he's soulless. The one guy, you can say it out loud. He's the one guy that still brings out that like emotional response where I'm just like, oh my God, you are the most frustrating person to try to watch. And, and if it's that frustrating just watching him play, like I can't imagine being those defenders like being Elvis Dumerville and, and DeForest Buckner that miss a sack on the same play, like that's got to just drive you out of your mind. And you saw Buckner on one play where he finally, uh, I think Russell Wilson actually throws it away. It was the play mm-hmm. where Sheldon Day's in coverage and Buckner ends up around his feet and ends up taking him down, even though it was an incomplete pass. And he gets up and you can tell he's just like, mother. Mm. Like, like dude i got you to the ground and it still didn't even matter this yeah. time yeah so th- there were th- there were several almost sacks in this game you've got sheldon day who despite his coverage prowess uh was able to get a free rush on uh, on the quarterback on a blown assignment you've got doomerville and buckner who had a, a te stunt both missed the tackle on the same play you've got brock Coyle, who was a free blitzer on a pretty decent little move and he ends up tripping over himself and falling flat on his face right in front of Wilson. Paint was thick on the 35-yard line. Correct. It was real thick. And then you've got Solomon Thomas, who also missed the tackle when Wilson was scrambling, and then eventually Wilson ends up kind of moving around and and getting out to the edge. So you had several opportunities where if if something else breaks our way, those are four sacks. And sacks usually kill drives, and I think that changes the complexion of the game. And yet Russell Wilson you know, ends up getting out of everything because he's got Crisco on his body, apparently, is what he secretes. And and it makes it difficult for the, the 49ers defenders to, to stay in phase and in coverage on those receivers. Why is it difficult for defenses to maintain their zones or to contain their wide receivers if they're in man coverage when things start to break down like that? So I think as a defender, and we talked about this a little bit with Akello before um, in, in terms of, right, like his job in this scheme and, and knowing that, okay, when I'm when we're playing cover three, I don't really have to worry a whole lot about inside breaking routes because those are going to be routes that I pass off to to my guys, you know, that are playing on the inside. Um, so really, I have to make sure that I'm ready for the deep ball, of course, and then I'm ready for either the quick out breaking routes or once they get beyond that kind of, you know, first three, four or five yard uh, where you're going to see the quick game break. I, I, OK, I got to make sure that they're not going to break in the 15 to 18 yard range, right, where my comeback and my deep out is going to break. And so I, I know that there's a very finite number of things that the receiver can do that I have to really be concerned with. And so you're used to this kind of general structure, right? Everybody has these same, you know, similar type of rules where I'm, I, I know the range of possibilities that I have to kind of be prepared for. But all of a sudden, you know, I think the the Baldwin play that we mentioned, kind of the one big play that they created outside of structure there that Wilson really kind of made happen um, was a, a great example of this because it was a very short route. You know, every receiver uh, for Seattle was running some sort of short, quick game type route, you know, that was within 10 yards of, of the line of scrimmage. And so you see the deep free safety on those plays, like all the routes have been declared at that point. Nobody else's, you know, they've made their breaks. They're kind of turned waiting for the ball uh, to see what's going to happen there. 
And so as a free safety, you start to feel comfortable. Like, okay, I don't have to worry. Nobody's running a deep route now. I, I don't have to worry about somebody getting behind me. I can start to come up and, and help my teammates out. And then all of a sudden, Wilson breaks the pocket, you know, makes a guy miss. And then somebody's taken off down the field and I have to turn and flip around and try to, you know, get behind that guy. So it's just, it puts everybody in kind of a difficult spot that you're not really used to dealing with, you know, on a week in week out basis. And that happened on a play where Wilson ends up throwing deep to either Lockett or Richardson. I think it was Richardson where Akello has pretty nice coverage, but then all of a sudden you see Wilson break contain and he kind of turns what looks like he's going to come back on, on a little slant and then ends up running up the field. Yeah. It's, it's an incomplete pass because Wilson throws an inaccurate pass. But if Wilson puts that on the money, and oftentimes he does, that's probably six. And yeah. the defense did everything right, but it's, it's Russell Wilson being able to stay elusive and playing well outside of structure that made those plays extend and eventually gives them opportunities to succeed. So overall, it's just incredibly frustrating because even when the defense does play well, and we're going to get to the run defense in a minute, even when they do get some pressure, and they didn't get a ton, right? They, I think there were only nine pressures this game, uh, but that was part of their game plan. Even when they do get there, it still doesn't matter. It still doesn't matter it's just, just because of the player that you're playing. It's just got to be super frustrating. I mean, uh, I, I, and it's a situation where it's like, I don't, you know, what do you do differently? You're, you're like looking for ways that you can... Uh, you know, you can improve, you can better contain that. And it's like, I don't know what you tell your guy, like, okay, try to tackle him better. Like, yeah. you know, what, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, he's just, he's a, he's a guy that's tough to bring down. He's very good at finding ways to avoid big hits and, and kind of protecting himself there. Um, it's just a, a really tough situation for your defense. Yeah. So ultimately I think it was one of the, it was one of the areas that was frustrating, but there's not much that you can do definitely a, diff a different scheme that the team brought into the game and and that makes sense you're not gonna you're, you play this game you play this team twice a year and you will for the foreseeable future Th there's no way that you're going to go into every single game with the exact same game plan you have to show them different looks you have to do things that are slightly different so let's talk a bit about the run defense because the run defense actually played really well we just allowed three runs of 10 yards or more eight runs for zero yards or a loss and allowed an average of one yard before contact per rush which would be the second best uh, on the season. So this was a, a run defense that held up really well. And even though you saw, like I think, 30 carries overall, the team yep. didn't break 100 yards. They, I think they ended up at 90 yards, yeah. which is really impressive, especially considering that the Seattle Seahawks were leading nearly all game. So even when the game was well in hand, it wasn't like they had their way or were able to have their way with the 49ers run defense. Right. It was it was kind of a, a strange thing because Eddie Lacey, I mean, he was especially early in the game. He was a tough guy to bring down. Like you saw some some missed tackles, uh, even from Reuben Foster, which is pretty uncharacteristic of him. Um, if it were closer to October, I'd say he dressed up like uh, Marshawn Lynch for Halloween. Uh, it, it, it was it was a little weird. You see the guy back there, you know, with with the dreads that's tough to bring down. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of strange how many guys like that they try to get back there with. What uh, would happen if Sheldon Day's Dr. Octopus dreadlock power also extended to the offense and they just like met in a collision? What, like, did they I, meet like that? That's one thing we should go back and watch, right? Did they meet head on at any point? Like, I don't know if they really like had a chance to like, like get some, like would just everybody around them kind of like fall down like have, a matrix type thing like have we rain. ever seen both of their dreadlocks in the same frame on television at the same time i don't think so yeah i don't know can't don't know. can't convince me false flag bro fake news <laughs> uh and so i think yeah considering um 
you know, the situation that they were in, like you mentioned, where they're they're they have the ability to run that much. And you you see a lot of defenses, even defenses that, um, you know, are, are pretty good run defenses that you, you wear down. 30 carries is a lot to, you know, deal with that kind of pounding. So uh, that the, they held up that well, I think was impressive. And then you throw in, you know, the other things of, like, you know, the injuries that they're dealing with. Right. And and you have a defensive line, even though they got a couple guys back, you know, you get Solomon Thomas back, you get Tank Carradine back, you know, that certainly helps out um, uh, up front there. But I think it was guys really that are kind of new to the fold a little bit that really impressed most often. I mean, Sheldon Day was there. He didn't do a whole lot from a pass rush standpoint, but I think he was making plays or, or doing good things in the run game, uh, you know, nearly every time it felt like, I mean, there was a lot of plays where we're like, man, look at Sheldon day on this. Like, look at, look at how he kind of held that gap or he was able to, you know, there was a couple times where you see him. It's, it's not very common for interior defensive linemen to be kind of in the mix on outside zone plays that go outside, right? When they, they, st- you start stretching things outside the numbers, those guys, you know, they, they don't mess around out there. That's not really kind of where they live. And you saw him, you know, get out there and be in position to to make something happen on those often. So I thought that was encouraging. Ronald Blair was another guy. I mean, this was just his second game back uh, after being out for most of the season with injury, of course. And and I thought he made some some really positive plays in the run game as well. So seeing that when you can get those sort of contributions from uh, your role players, right? That's not DeForest Buckner. I mean, you. I think those guys really help compensate it in the run game for. Uh, an unusually down game from DeForest Buckner. Uh, and, and so you have those role players that can kind of pick up the slack a little bit. That's something that they haven't had, right? They, they've been in a state where it's like, man, I really hope the couple guys that we have that are decent can can hold things together. And, and if not, it's going to be a complete disaster. And when you can have your best defensive player not really play all that well and still put that kind of performance up in the run game, I think that's really impressive. Yeah, overall, the the strength of the team going into the season was the defensive line, and despite and it was the deepest area of the team, and we've seen that hold too throughout the season. Despite the injuries, I mean, they had injuries too. Tank, I mean, you've listed them already, I'm sure, but the the despite those injuries and and even signing guys off the street, like uh, apparently yeah. Sheldon Day was a popular waiver claim for this very reason. Uh, Jacksonville, if we're talking about deep, deep defensive lines, apparently they just have the deepest one ever in the history of football. <laughs> and, and, and they're cutting quality people, and that was, fortunately, the 49ers' gain. But when you get to the other side of the ball, Seattle's defensive front was just too good for the 49ers, and that's going to be the other, the other way that this game kind of tilted. Ultimately, that front seven is overmatching anything that the 49ers could put on the field. Eric Magnuson, bless his heart, playing out of position at right tackle, uh, basically broke his foot. <laughs> didn't really break it he sprained it uh but still he sprained his foot very early on decided to tough it out because we don't have any other tackles <laughs> wouldn't have mattered uh his overall grade 40.2 in the game was not great he was projected inside as a pro prospect he played he made the roster as a center guard interior backup yeah. and then all of a sudden because of the injuries that happened across the line he's forced to play tackle which is not the position that's going to set him up for success in the NFL. It just isn't. It, we're, we're duct taping this offensive line together. So he was no match for anyone on that defensive line, and, and it just wasn't good overall. And, and as a result, we simply could not take advantage of Seattle's banged-up secondary. And that was the thing that was going to be tough, right? Uh, this was something that I talked about a little bit in the the preview that I had on PFF and in terms of you look at, okay, where is a, a possible weakness that we can take advantage of 
on the Seattle defense, and it's it's on the outside, right? Without Richard Sherman, cornerback is is their weakest spot. Obviously, they're very good uh, on the defensive line. They still got you know Earl Thomas patrolling the middle back there. Their linebackers are are great, and so the middle of the defense was going to be really tough to take advantage of, right? You weren't going to find a lot of matchups there that you could really take advantage of going against Bobby Wagner and Earl Thomas. Um, the problem is that's been the only kind of area of the field that Bethard's been very good at, right? When we see some of his best plays, they tend to be stuff over the middle of the field. He's really struggled kind of throwing it outside the numbers. Um, and I think we saw that in this game. He didn't really try to throw outside the numbers a whole lot when you look down the field stuff. So once you get beyond 10 yards from the line of scrimmage, um, only attempted six passes outside the numbers. Didn't really do a, he completed a couple deep, you know, had a 23 yarder, had a 34 yarder incomplete with everything else. And it's just like, that wasn't really enough. They needed to try to, I think, attack that area a little bit more, but it's tough. Do you, do you try to attack the weakness of, of that defense and, and go with what, um, you know, kind of their worst at, or do you just say like, Hey, we recognize that our quarterback isn't very good at those throws. We got to try to do what he does best. And unfortunately that puts you going against a position of strength for them. And it just didn't work out. Now, the 49ers did have a couple of positive chunk plays through the air. You mentioned a couple of them there, the two deep passes outside the numbers. One of them was on uh, a compliment to Yankee that we've seen Shanahan run a couple of times where it looks like Goodwin's going to run that deep post, but he ends up actually breaking towards the sideline. And Maxwell actually has pretty good coverage. Yeah. But but it was a really good throw and a, and a really good catch by Marquise Goodwin. He actually shields Maxwell away with his uh, with his body. And then the other one was... One of the most impressive throws I think I've seen C.J. Beathard make outside yeah. of maybe the 80-yard bomb that to Goodwin or whatever. I, I mean, I think, I think to me, the most impressive. That yeah. was, I think, the single best throw he's made. Where, where he is staring down the barrel of uh, a Bobby Wagner bear hug, and he doesn't even flinch. He just lost this ball deep. He, he I don't know, he's hoping at this point that Earl, that Earl Thomas is not going to be there. Um, I almost said Earl Mitchell. I'm so used to Earl Mitchell being in coverage that I'm already <laughs> oh, putting no. him. Oh no! I'm already putting him at deep safety for the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> but uh, but he man. throws this just dime, absolute dime to Goodwin on the outside shoulder, still in bounds, able to let Goodwin run run under it. It was truly, for every definition of the term, a big time throw. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those like bucket throws, right? You see the the quarterbacks messing around in practice. They got to. You got to get that enough arc on it to get it over the defender is what you're mimicking there. So you can drop it in the bucket. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we saw. I mean, that was, uh, I think considering again, the pressure you got Bobby Wagner, uh, that's about to just blow you up. And, uh, oh man, it was, I mean, he took a shot on that play too, but stood in there. Um, and you deliver a shot like that outside the numbers, you know, over the top of the cornerback and basically the only spot, uh, that your guy can get it. I, that was, yeah, I mean, I think without question, the most impressive throw that he's made this season. So there were there were shots in there. I just think, you know, it wasn't uh, obviously enough. You know, you, you weren't able to create enough offensively to, to kind of sustain drives and, um, you know, get points on the board. And I think that was ultimately their undoing. It's just, you, you keep throwing, you know, in the middle of where they got those linebackers and Earl Thomas roaming, and you're just not going to find a lot of positive plays there. And even when you do complete a pass, Bobby Wagner is just going to rip it out of Trent Taylor's hands, right? Like that's, that's right. I remember. So, yeah, I saw the so I, again, I don't usually watch the games live. You know, I, I tend to watch them on Tuesday. Oscar comes over. We watch the film together. And, uh, you know, I saw the interception. I see the stat line is like, oh, man, Bobby Wagner interception. That was probably brutal. Like maybe missed. You just completely didn't see him. You know, threw a 
through a slant that he just undercut something like that that was just awful and it's like oh no okay that was like actually the throw was fine uh bobby wagner just beasted on trent taylor poor trent taylor uh just ripped it out of his hands and it's like all right i mean what are you gonna do there you just you know you gotta live with that then nothing nothing the quarterback can do on that one yeah um it's tough yeah i mean i think they're just you're in a situation uh you know without a lot of guys even even guys like trent taylor and and um and george kittle that come back from injury they're not 100 percent. they're not in position to really you know carry a passing game either at this point in their career so uh, it, it was tough. You were just kind of outmatched, uh, and, and, and they just weren't able to really find anything in the passing game to sustain things. Now, at what point does all of the pressure and the hits begin to affect or damage a quarterback? We'll call this like the, the David Carr allegory where you just begin to see phantom pressure and you begin to leave pockets early because you're expecting the pressure, even when the pressure isn't there. There was a play that I tweeted out while we were watching a film yesterday where you had a post-wheel concept that was a great call versus a defense, and it works perfectly. Beathard gets a little bit of pressure from the middle of the pocket, but he has enough space to to kind of slide to the left and step up a little bit. He's got time. He still has a, a pocket. And if he does, he can throw a deep post, which we know he can do, and he's got Kendrick Bourne wide open, wide open over the middle of the field because Earl Thomas comes up to get the dig. And ultimately, he doesn't make the, the pass because he senses pressure. He tries to bail outside the pocket to the right and then ends up running himself into pressure and ends up getting tackled. It's an incomplete pass. So I know that one of the knocks on Beathard coming into the pros was his pocket presence. That, that's something that, you know, ha- sometimes he shows flashes, right? We just talked about his big time throw where he's staring down the barrel of, of a gun and he's able to, to hit the throw. But other times we have seen him get a little skittish. At what point do you think it does become problematic for a quarterback to sit there and constantly take hits and ultimately to the point where it affects his ability to stay in a pocket? I think it's really tough. Um, you know, I think that's a, a skill that not a lot of people have to begin with, right? I mean, the, the the quarterbacks that are able to do well consistently under pressure, I mean, those are the great quarterbacks in the league, right? Those those are the guys, even, even if you look at... Um, it's some guys that have been consistently really good. They weren't always great under pressure. I mean, I think Tom Brady is a, is a great example of that where, uh, for the longest time, that was the, your, your only hope, right? To shut down Tom Brady, to have any chance of, of containing them. You had to get pressure on him. And, and obviously the giants were able to do that in most famously, but now he's finally worked his way the last few years. He's been excellent under pressure. It's like, okay, like I, I did something. So, he, so, someone tweeted a stat where it was like it over the last six weeks, it, it was like the top five or 10 quarterbacks and their quarterback rating. Mm-hmm. And number one was Tom Brady. Number two was, I don't know, like Ben Roethlisberger. Number three was Alex Smith. Number four was Tom Brady under pressure. Yeah. And then it was everyone else. I'm going to pull um, the ranking in a minute because I think he was actually higher. I think he may have been third. Yeah. No, I've, I've had to do a, a little bit on the Patriots stuff um, recently and his passer rating when getting hit, so not even pressure, right? Because you can be pressured uh, in in a variety of ways. Obviously, getting hit is is the most prominent way, but just even being hurried, you know, is is counts as your under pressure stats. Um, when he actually gets hit on a throw, he has like a one twenty two something passer rating this year. Um, it's it's insane. Like there's just it, at that point, there's nothing you can really do. Like okay, like you're you're driving to the ground. Like what else do you want me to do to that? 
that I passed. Oh, here it um, is. It was Louis Benjamin. Uh, he he yeah. tweeted out. He said NFL passer rating leaders through week twelve. Tom Brady quarterback rating one eleven point seven. Tom Brady under pressure one hundred five point six. Yeah. Alex Smith one hundred four point five. Drew Brees one hundred four point one. Carson Wentz one hundred four point oh. That's absurd. It's stupid. It's, Which it's not okay. By the way, MVP race clearly Tom Brady. Yeah. It's it's I not mean, even it's not even a question. It's not like oh like Carson no nah, it's not Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz Carson Wentz you can't you, once the internet figures out how to differentiate between him and an English royal then maybe we can talk about his MVP candidacy especially his own uh, you know <laughs> it team, it was the, it was the own team it was, website it was the the Eagles yeah thing. what are you gonna Yikes. do but yeah Tom Brady um, under pressure is would be better than every other quarterback not under pressure. So I think the fact that, you know, you see that now and, and know that like Tom Brady wasn't always very good under pressure, right? That, yeah. that hasn't been his existence for his entire career. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's usually guys you see like Roger, you know, it's it, guys that have a little mobility to them, right? It was, it was Rogers. It was Wilson, you know, or the are, super big dudes like yeah, Ben Roethlisberger, right? Who just like, doesn't give a shit if you're on, on top of him, like he's stronger than you. So, um, yeah, I, I think you, you look at those guys and so there, there's a very finite number of, of players that can do that well to begin with. So it's already a tough thing, you know, to do. And then, so you start throwing in that element, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to get lost in, and I'm, I'm very much guilty of this is, is trying to like, look at things in a vacuum, right? What's kind of the, the ideal state of this. And, and you, you kind of forget about the human element. And, and the fact is like, Anybody that gets the shit beat out of them constantly week in and week out, like you're going to be a little skittish. I don't want to get the shit beat out of me all the time like that. That kind of sucks. Yeah. So uh, I, I think there's definitely a very real element to that where if you just kind of have that. And this isn't just this season. He dealt with this at Iowa, right? At Iowa, he had a very poor offensive line, was under pressure a lot, took a lot of hits there. Um, and, and so this is kind of an ongoing thing for him. And uh, I mean, I think he's, He's ultimately, I don't know that he's regressed there. So I think that's probably a positive, right? The fact that he's, I mean, he's still not super comfortable. Um, he's obviously tough and willing to take those hits when when he can stand in the pocket. Um, but you definitely see times where he doesn't handle it well. And uh, uh, I think that's kind of similar to what we saw him coming out of college. So, um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I don't know how much he can improve there. Um, I think getting a little time away, maybe letting Jimmy in there and get some some hits uh, is probably going to help him out a little bit, but who knows? Well, you said the magic word. So it, it sucks that CJ Beathard was effectively a tackling dummy for Jimmy Garoppolo. He was a human shield. <laughs> if this were a Bruce Willis movie, he like J- Beathard would be the guy that he gets pulled in front of to take like nine bullets. And then Bruce Willis is totally fine. Bruce Willis <laughs> in this case, Jimmy Garoppolo. But Jimmy Garoppolo did have three, depending on where you look for plays at the end of the game. And I think earlier I said that if, if our podcast title could be an emoji, it would just yeah. be three goats because Definitely. Jimmy Garoppolo is a goat. Uh, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It was just three or four plays, but those three or four plays were solid. So limited snaps. Yes. And three snaps. Yes. At the very end of the game. But was there anything that you could take from those three or four snaps, including one quarterback sneak, which Again, would it convert if not for that damn false start? It's it's so it is a little eerie how he has mannerisms like Tom Brady. Yeah, the the on the tippy toes hitch at the end at the top of his drop, and then of course he runs for a quarterback sneak. 
because that's what Tom Brady does. There was a time, and there still is, where that is an unstoppable play from the Patriots. But yeah. what, what we're going to have to add that he gets compared to Tom Brady to the drinking game. We, we oh, have to. man. And, and, and look, no one, no one here is comparing him to Tom Brady from like an actual performance sure. standpoint. Sure. Um, just, just to make that very clear. Um, it's, it, it is a little weird. It is a little, yeah. it is a little weird. You gotta admit, like you see some of those mannerisms and you're like, all right, I see how you played behind Tom Brady yeah. for like what, three years. Um, so what'd you see? Cause I mean, there were a couple of things that I saw that, you know, they, they, they didn't, they didn't change my picture of him at all. He was what I thought he was going in. Yeah. Um, and, and so it didn't give me any new information, but it was still fun to watch. Definitely. I think it was fun. I mean, it was it was exciting to see. Right. Like just to just to see him out there, period, is is, is nice because, you know, like we mentioned before, after the trade first happened, he brings more hope to that position than they've had, you know, since anybody, you know, since Colin Kaepernick was basically first took over and, and you know, went on that Super Bowl run, basically. Um, it it's you know, it's obviously too early. Um, there, there's nothing meaningful. I think you can really take away from those snaps. We're still at a point where we're gathering information, right? We, we had, uh, what something like 70 dropbacks from his, his two starts, uh, last year in new England. And, you know, now we're adding these three, four snaps to the mix and, and it's just kind of building the, the profile for what we know about Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and we're still kind of figuring that stuff out. Um, yeah, I mean, it was encouraging. I mean, it's it's tough because it, your garbage time, right? What what's Seattle really doing? Are are they really out there? Um, you know, kind of playing to to the max. Um, I don't know, but it was a great throw. I mean, you see him make that touchdown so throw. You see him. You know, that's kinda, all I took from it. All I took from it was that it was a good throw. It was a very good throw. Um, the, so the, 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 there were three plays that counted. One of them was a scramble to the right. One of them was the on schedule throw. Uh, across the middle of the field and the other was another off schedule kind of throw that was for the touchdown to lewis murphy both of those were great i think it just proved why why he was a tradable asset because his quick release is what allowed him to get that ball over the underneath sinking defender that is, is more often than not in a position to pick that off but he's able to thread that needle into lewis murphy rolling to his left he is he's got a good wide base. He's mobile when he needs to be. He's got way more pocket presence than CJ Beathard. And he knows when to tuck the ball in and run. So we knew that going in. No new information. But it, it still very much felt very different at the quarterback position than it did when, you know, the lead singer of Nickelback was back there. Yeah. I mean, uh I, I think it's it's certainly incur- like even though you're not really, you know, if you're if you're trying to look at this more logically, like you're not taking away really anything from those snaps, right? In 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 the long term, um, it obviously is better than if he would have went out there and like threw Thrown a pick, a pick six. And, and got sacked or something like that, you know, in those three snaps. So you you certainly you yeah. come out of there feeling a little bit better. Um, I think that's all it is is that you feel a little bit better at this point. You know, we're we're gonna obviously see a little bit more um, in a full game of action here. Uh, this coming week but it's it's nice it's just again it's nice to have some hope at that spot and and to think that like okay we might have somebody that that could potentially be a guy that performs at a high level there likely that's really cool so overall game recap the defense played well enough to win the 49ers came in with a different game plan strategy to contain russell wilson and not pressure him didn't really work out all that well because russell wilson secretes crisco out of his pores the run defense played very very well despite the fact that 
the game was primed for Seattle to try and run it down their throats. And the Seattle defensive front is just way too good. And it did not allow the 49ers to take advantage of their banged up secondary. Jimmy Garoppolo, no new info, but lots of hope, uh, a whole new hope. And, and that brings us to our spotlight player, which, of course, based on the way the game went down, is going to be on defense. And that's going to be Mr. Eric Reed. And it's not just because Shanahan said it was maybe his best game of the year, which he did in today's press conference. But Eric Reed was exceptional in pass coverage. He had an interception on the very first play of the game covering Jimmy Graham. Uh, he didn't actually allow a catch at all to Jimmy Graham. And and there was one play that I tweeted out as well where he kind of overcomes the the pick. That's not really a pick, right, where they just kind of create a bubble that the defender has to go over. Well, he went through it. And he got right between the wide receiver and Akella Witherspoon and made contact with Graham. And Graham drops the pass. But even if he doesn't, he, it's still three yards short of the first down. Yeah. So he played a fantastic game in coverage. On his 40 plays in coverage, he was targeted five times allowing just two receptions for only 15 yards. And, of course, he had that pick with an overall coverage grade of 87.8. So we've talked about, I mean, obviously the the conversation with Eric Reed always tends to revolve around at this point. Like, are they going to keep him? And is Joukowsky Tart going to be the guy that replaces him, right? Are we just going to be comfortable moving that direction? Um, and I think largely the answer seems to be, yeah. I mean, they seem to be, you know, they seem to like Tart and and be comfortable that he can do a lot of the things that Eric Reed can do. I think this is the one thing that I'm not 100% sure on that, that Tart can replicate. And then I think Eric Reed has been very good defending tight ends, especially when you get him in man coverage. He can match up with those guys very well. I mean, I think he's done uh, a really good job in the opportunities he's got against Jimmy Graham, you know, even going back, you know, a couple of years uh, even though you had plays, you know, you look back at, at previous games and you'll remember probably the the Jimmy Graham going up over the top of uh, Eric Reed, you know, down the seam. Like that's not a, a bad coverage, you know, necessarily play. That is a just I didn't quite have the ball skills and Jimmy Graham's like one of the best in the league at jump balls. And that just worked against me in that that play. But I think overall, his ability to kind of man up tight ends and, and be able to do a very good job there is something that we haven't seen a ton from Jaquaski Tart. I'm not saying that he can't do it. I'm just saying that we haven't really seen that yet, and we're, I'm not necessarily sold that he's going to be able to play to that same level. So that's something that he's done really well. I mean, I think he continues to be a much better box player than he was when he was asked to play a little bit deeper. So this was, yeah, just overall, I think, uh, considering the competition that he was going against as well and going against a tight end like Graham, um, just a really impressive game from him. So that wraps up another loss for the 49ers, our Womp Womp Wednesday review. Now we're going to get to the rundown, which are other tidbits from the game or stories throughout the week that we think are important. First is going to be the new phone Hootis update. All of the new players that seem to be shuttling in and out of this team because we are trying to compensate for injuries or there are other people on the market that we just thought would be good. We've already talked about Sheldon Day had a very, very good uh, run defense uh, grade and uh, just throw him in coverage right away. Let's do it. Why not? Uh, now, you've also got Cassius Marsh, who played... It was confusing as all holy hell, because he got number 54. Yeah. He's, he's not a linebacker. Nope. So uh, you're used to seeing uh, Ray Ray Armstrong, and now you're seeing Cassius Marsh, and Cassius Marsh is decidedly of a lighter skin tone. And so... so he's all tatted up. It's just all really confusing. It is. You know? it's, 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 it's a lot of mixed to, signals. It is. It's a lot of mixed signals. But he, he didn't have as well as good of a game as Sheldon Day, but he didn't have a terrible game. I think both of those are depth signings. Sheldon Day, I think, probably has 
some space to make the roster next year. Cassius Marsh is probably going to be back in camp and maybe, 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 maybe make a practice. No, he's not eligible. Uh, and then you've got Tim Barnes that was signed at center guard, promoted Jeremy McNichols from the practice squad. We released Noble Nwakachu from the practice squad, but because Shanahan knows he's got to keep the all-name team name and balance, he signed Boseko Lacombo to the practice squad to compensate for the release of Noble Nwakachu. I'm glad you handled those names. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and say that just like C.J. Beathard nailed his best pass of his very <laughs> short career. I think I just went ahead and nailed the the longest consecutive nailed string it. of names that Absolutely. I'm ever going to need to have to put together. I mean, there was a lot of consonants in those two names. Yep. So. Uh, all signs point to Trent Brown starting because if Beatles goes to tackle, you need someone to back up the center and guard, and that's Tim Barnes. That's probably why they didn't sign another tackle to back up Trent Brown. So I think they're banking on Trent Brown playing and yeah. Zane Beatles being the primary interior kind of backup and the swing tackle. And then if Beatles goes to tackle, you've got Tim Barnes at center guard. So Brown didn't practice today, and that's kind of scary. So no, we'll, he we'll didn't. We'll see how it goes. I think they might be keeping him on ice until Hopefully. Thursday, maybe Friday. Don't bring Zane Beatles back into my life. Wednesday is usually the heaviest day of practice in the week. You get Monday off. Tuesday, you kind of come back in, get treatment, cold tub. Wednesday is the heavy practice day. So I think they're probably saving him for Thursday, Friday, uh, and then getting him back out on the field. And he'll probably be another game time decision. He was last week, but you know, I mean, honestly, at this point, I, I, I was, I don't really care because it's a it's a win win either way. I mean, I just don't want Jimmy Garoppolo to die. That's really what I care yeah. about. Don't don't let him die. Um, let's get to a Keller Witherspoon. I mean, I don't think there's any way that we could uh, really talk about this game and not at least mention him. Um, you know, I think he he played overall very well in this game, uh, had a couple of pass breakups early. And, and I think it's become very clear that he is currently the best cornerback on the roster. And, and sure, part of that is they don't have a lot of good cornerbacks on the roster currently. Um, and, and so it's it's not a necessarily a high bar to clear. But I think considering where he was at coming in um, and what we've seen from him so far since he took over as a starter, I think it's all been very encouraging even when you look at a play, I, I think he's getting kind of roasted a little bit and, and starting to get a little uh, Jimmy Ward type treatment in, as, as far as his uh, red zone stuff, right? And is he is he too small to be able to handle bigger targets in the red zone like that, even though he's a quote-unquote big cornerback? Um, I, I think when you look at the situation and, and kind of break that down a little bit further, I think it's a little bit more understandable that he gets beat on that route. One, it's Jimmy Graham, and Jimmy Graham's a very good red zone target and a very good player in that area. Two, coming into the week, Jimmy Garoppolo, or excuse me, Jimmy Graham had uh, 14 targets within the five-yard line. Uh, every single one of those had been an outbreaking route. Nine of them had been fates. There were a couple of like plays where he was aligned in line as a tight end, you know, went to the corner or something like that. But every single thing had been outbreaking, majority fade, not a single slant in that mix. So if you're a Kelda Witherspoon and you get that sort of scouting report, which you almost certainly do, um, you can understand overplaying the fade a little bit, which he did in that. So I think even when you look at that, you know, being in a tough situation to prevent that completion to begin with, considering what Seattle had done going into that week, it's all, you know, I think understandable that that, that, that result played out the way it did. But I think it's it's very clear right now that he is the best cornerback on the roster and that he is going to be 
uh, a starter on this team, I think, for for a, quite a long time. Let's talk about another rookie that we were super hyped about this preseason, and that's going to be Matt Breida. Is he a better outside runner than Carlos Hyde? Well, we looked at some numbers, and by we, I mean David. Uh, Carlos Hyde has a half yard before contact on outside runs specifically. His yards per carry drops to 3.3 on outside zone runs as compared to 5.45 yards per carry on inside zone runs. So clearly a much better inside zone runner. We knew that about Hyde going in. That's his bread and butter. When you look at Brita, though, he has 3.3 yards before contact on outside zone plays, and his yards per carry is up to over five on those outside zone plays. So when you compare just their production on outside zones between Matt Brita and Carlos Hyde, it is pretty clear that Brita is a better runner in the type of run that Kyle Shanahan loves. And he turned one of those runs against Seattle into 12 yards, which is a a play that I tweeted out as well in case you wanted to watch the coach's tape on that. But it's one of the many reasons that I think that while I do think Carlos Hyde is a a very, very good running back, and he's probably going to make some team very happy, that team may not be the 49ers. Another note, 49ers lead the league in pace, which is uh, just going to continue to be funny to me because (laughs) nobody wants to mention it because Chip Kelly's not around anymore. Nobody wants to talk about pace. Uh, Chip Kelly, they didn't even lead the league in pace when Chip Kelly was around and they lead the league in pace now with Kyle Shanahan running a quote unquote, you know, traditional old school West coast offense. We don't do that. We get in a huddle. We call real plays. We still lead the league in pace at just over 25 seconds. per snap. Did you, did, have you catched all that? Uh, have you catched? I just said that out loud. Have you caught all the buzz around uh, McVeigh and Goff and about how Goff gets to the line with like 25 seconds left and and it allows oh, McVeigh no. and it allows McVeigh to to see what the defense is doing they run a dummy snap count and then it's McVeigh that calls and checks in his helmet because the because the era receiver gets cut off at 15 seconds right so it gives him 10 seconds to view the field and give him tips and say you know, hey, if you've got, you know, single high, do this. And then they're on the check. Oh, it looks like they're moving. Let's go ahead and check to that. And then that's when you see Goff do like the Tupac, Tupac, and, you know, all the fun audibles that they have because um, they are fun. They're really fun. But hey. that, that's that been the that's been in the, zeit, in the football zeitgeist over the last couple of days. No, I haven't really noticed that. I've been kind of out of the loop the last couple of days. Um, you've been watching amazing uh, collegiate special teams. Yes, I have. Yeah, uh, it's it's been it's been great. But no, I haven't seen that. I mean, it's smart, right? Like it's hey. great. Yeah, get to line. Let 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 the guys that can see kind of yeah. everything. You know, as quarterback, it's tough. Uh, let let your guys that can see the whole field. Yeah, uh, give you some tips for. But it, when sure. Chip Kelly does it on signs, sure, of course it's awful. It's bad. It's Chip tough. Kelly's a bad coach. That's He's right. going to do terrible at UCLA. Yep. Just kidding. Definitely rooting for him. Yeah. DVOA update. Our last rundown story overall: we're 29th, offense 28th, defense 27th. Special teams. Sad face emoji has dropped. I'm very sad. I had to out of the uh, top ten. So I graded the game this week for special team stuff, and I had to downgrade Matt Breed on a, a play, and I was very sad. Um, it's okay. It, it hurt. I'm glad you it didn't hurt. just. I'm it glad you didn't just here. stuff the ballot box. I got. I got to you know give him a better one. I mean, it all gets even if I wanted to. It all it all gets reviewed uh, anyway. So I couldn't couldn't let it come out. Um, I got to give him a positive grade later for he made a, he made a good play on a punt um, a couple, a couple snaps later. So it made me feel better on the inside to give that out. I still think some of the, uh, the the bloopers that that you send me every now and again are oh, some man. of the funniest ones. Uh, if you don't get a chance, I mean, it's it's very random. Um, I don't know how much you know uh, college stuff that that everybody watches. Um, college special teams is maybe <laughs> the most fun 
there is just, I mean, you, you start getting into, I mean, yeah, you, you look at top 25 stuff and those guys are more NFL like, right. They don't do a lot of crazy stuff. There's not a lot of crazy things that happen generally, um, with, with those teams, but you start diving a little bit deeper, <laughs> get you, uh, get you some action on, uh, there was a ball state punter this week that, not only this, so he fumbly the snap, <laughs> the snap hits him in the hands and he drops it, and you think, oh, that's pretty bad. That's yeah, it's not great. All right, you're you're off to a rough start. You drop the snap. Okay, you're gonna pick it up though. You get that ball back, <laughs> and you still have a chance. And then you drop that to punt it, and you completely whiff on the punt. Um, oh, it was so funny. Just, kicks pl- air and the play doesn't um, even in there because then like the ball keeps fumbling backwards three people yeah. try to recover it and it just keeps squirting backwards oh my god it's, it's, it's incredible yeah. it's uh it, college special teams man it's every great. every single week just delivers some great stuff but that's the rundown and those are the stories throughout the week that we think uh, or the little tidbits that we think are important so let's get to this game preview duh bears we are bears. playing the bears and of course Number one thing that we'll be watching is what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do in this game because it's going to be a limited playbook. He has not learned the entire playbook, but it will more than likely be a complete game plan. It narrowing down the plays into what it is that he needs to know is going to be quite a bit easier than than just trying to say, here, here's the whole playbook, figure it all out. So he's had about five weeks in the 49er system so far, but these are not the same five weeks that you might get in a training camp. You get fewer reps. There's fewer people. You don't have 90 players split over two fields and everyone's getting a rep. Uh, you've also got Jimmy Garoppolo running the scout team. He gets the, the opposition's team's plays on cards that he then has to execute. You also have reduced wide receiver reps because you're trying to keep them fresh. Everyone's a little banged up. Overall, this is not going to be like a training camp for Jimmy Garoppolo. These five weeks were not the same five weeks that Beathard got early on in the season. So he's still not going to be all the way in to the playbook or be 100% comfortable with the language. Now, that being said, what kinds of things do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do in this game against Chicago? Well, I think the the point about it being very different, right? Learning a game plan compared to learning the entire offense is is very different. I think if, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, definitely go find Kyle Shanahan's comments about this exact topic uh, I, you know, I thought he did a very good job of, of kind of explaining the, the difference between the two. And it's it's really like, yeah, you're already dealing with right. A game plan is a a small slice of your overall playbook. It's the stuff that you think is going to work well against this opponent. Um, you know, it's the stuff that your quarterback feels comfortable with already. And they said that they're going to start out with, OK, we think Jimmy knows these things. We're, we're going to start out with that Wednesday in practice and, and kind of move through the week with that. And by the time if we get to Friday, Saturday, and there's some stuff in there that Jimmy doesn't, uh, you know, isn't really comfortable with yet, and he isn't ready to run, well, we remove that stuff from the game plan, and that just isn't available to us on Sunday. And so we go in with stuff that we know that he can run, that we know that he knows. And at that point, you know, if if as long as he knows that, again, you mentioned he had five weeks, if he's got this small selection of of stuff down, you know, we should expect to see a Jimmy Garoppolo that's very functional. And, and, and so I think seeing, I mean, again, everything that we get from him for the rest of the season, uh, even if it's, if he starts every single game from here on out, if he starts just this one and, and they go back to Beathard because Beathard's healthy again, and they're ready to let him be a tackling dummy, like whatever it ends up being, this is just kind of, you know, we're continuing to gather information. And so I think 
everything that we see, you know, from him in this game is going to be have some value to it, right? In, in building that sort of profile, um, I think it's it's going to be a situation where he goes in. Hopefully, because Chicago's offense is not very good, this game can stay close, and he's not put in a situation where he does have to drop back, and you know he's throwing the ball fifty times in this game, and um, you know they're playing from behind and doing that whole thing that we've done all season. Hopefully, we don't get there, you know, because you're not expecting Chicago to really put up a ton of points, so you you, you keep things a little bit close, and you can kind of stick within that game plan and not have to to branch a point where like okay we got to go hurry up two minute mode, you know, even though it's, you know, it's still early in the fourth quarter um, because we have to catch up. And so now we only have, well, Jimmy's only comfortable with like five plays in this situation that we feel that we want to run here. So we're just going to run those over and over again and hope it works out. Like, uh, you know, you don't want to be there. So I think uh, this, this matchup, even though Chicago's defense is, is probably a little bit better than people expect because of, of how the game flow I think should go here should hopefully put him in some better situations. All right, so it's prop bet time because there are lines for everything. And there are lines for Jimmy Garoppolo's lines. His, his, the over-under on his total passing yards for week 13 is 225.5. Total TD passes week 13, over-under, set at one and a half. And his total interceptions for week 13, over-under, set at a half. So basically... If you're betting the over on all of them, you're betting that Garoppolo has at least 226 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. If you're betting the under on all of them, of course, you take the inverse. Now, for context, through 11 games this year, the 49ers quarterbacks have averaged 244 yards, 0.8 touchdowns, and 0.9 interceptions. I'm going over on yards. Okay. Yeah, I think 225 is low. I think that I think that'll be fine. Um I'm going to go under on touchdown passes and interceptions. I think I think like a touchdown. One touchdown no I, picks. I think he yeah, I think he hopefully keeps care, you know, he protects the ball a little bit. I, I think and that I think that's something that that Shanahan's system in general, you know, using a lot of play action um and, and just kind of, you know, what they're looking for there lends itself to taking care of the ball a little bit better. Um, yeah, I think that would be over yards, under touchdowns, under interceptions. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. Yeah, I, and I think Fuch had a write-up about this, and he said the, the same thing, where he's like, I think it's under on inter- interceptions, which I agree. I think he throws maybe zero picks. And I think it's over on yards. It's the touchdown one. That's the one I think that's interesting, like one touchdown or two touchdowns. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. And a lot of that depends, like, right, where where do you get them from? Because all of a sudden, you know, you get inside the five and then, you know, you're running the ball, you know, probably. And, yep. and, and you get a rushing touchdown there, right? Or uh, it, it's kind of a lot of game script stuff that goes into that. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm I just think, I think say, in general, because not a lot of points, I'm going to go under. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say over. I'm going to go ahead and play the optimist role. It helped me out on my pick last week or two weeks ago. Uh, why not over on touchdowns over on yards uh this is maybe the last one man this is maybe the last one i know i know it'll be all right though it'll be all right um so overall i think we're going to be looking for for actual game action in the offense in which jimmy garoppolo is hopefully going to have a very long thriving career so that's what we're going to be watching this game against the chicago bears now is the run game though going to be able to do enough to prevent jimmy garoppolo from having to do it all 
The Bears have not been a fantastic defense, but their defense has been solid, especially against the run. They're 12th in run defense uh, as ranked by DVOA. They're third in pro football focus run defense grades. Chicago's allowed the second fewest yards after contact per attempt at just a shade over two yards, 2.26. So overall, their run defense is really, really good. And if you're looking at matchups in this game and you're talking about the Niners offense versus the Bears defense, you're thinking, okay, they're going to stonewall the run game. And this may be a game where Jimmy has to put it all on his back, which is going to be interesting considering that he's going to have a very limited view of what this offense can do, given that he's going to be working within the confines of a game plan. Definitely. So I I think you have to find a way to get something done, right? Whether that's, um, you know, we, we talked about, I think a couple weeks ago where, uh, you know, okay, we have a really stout run defense on the interior with the New York Giants, right? You have Snacks Harrison in there, so we, we maybe we look to push the ball outside a little bit more. I think you could see a similar thing in this game because they have, uh, you know, some very good run defenders on the inside. I think most prominent among those is Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks has been one of the best run defenders in the league. Um, he's going to match up really should be for most of the game with Brandon Fusco. He lines up mostly on the left side of the defense, um, you know, so as an interior player, that's going to put you mostly against the right guard. Um, Hicks right now, a top 12 graded run defender. Uh, he makes a lot of plays as well. You know, a lot of times interior run defense isn't necessarily the guy making the plays. It's, you know, keeping blockers off your linebackers, you know, doing some dirty work that doesn't really show up in the stat sheet necessarily. Um, but he's made so far 25 run tackles that have prevented a first down within two yards of the line of scrimmage, right? So it's 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 a short gain or loss, and it's not in a, a situation where it's a two-yard gain on third and one that gives them a first down, right? So it, it's preventing first downs, preventing large gains. Those 25 run tackles are the most in the NFL at any position, defensive line, edge, linebacker, any of them. He has the most of them. So it's it's going to be a tough matchup for Fusco. But Fusco, surprisingly, I mean, again, this was something that we were very uncertain about going into the season. Uh, interior line in general hasn't been very good. But Fusco right now is the team's best run blocker, has the highest run block grade on the season, um, and I think has generally been very kind of surprisingly uh, good in that asset uh, in that aspect. Um, so I think this is going to be a tough matchup for him, and how he's able to handle it could go a long way towards their success in the run game. Now, last thing that we'll be watching is whether or not Mitsubishi Trubisky is going to stay in neutral. Still one of my favorite nicknames in football. It, it's, it's amazing. I love it's it. It's a million nicknames. Mitchell Mitsubishi Trubisky. I love it. It's great. But is he going to stay neutral? So he's actually one of the few quarterbacks that grades out worse than C.J. Beathard, which is, I think, interesting considering that Mitsubishi was, of course, like the pick, second overall pick. Yeah. And he was, very, he was ranked highly. We had Steve Palazzolo in the preseason on the show. And he talked about how Trubisky was the most accurate passer in college football last year when they charted where the passes were. So this isn't just adjusted completion rate. This is actually where is the ball location on these passes. And Trubisky was the most accurate passer in college football. And while that does not guarantee success in the NFL by any stretch, it is usually that's one of the things that carries over when you're talking about accuracy. Now, they kind of put the brakes on Trubisky early on in the year. He had a couple of games where he didn't have over like 10 passes, basically. And and that's kind of hilarious. But over the last few weeks, he's actually had attempts in the 30s like a real NFL quarterback. And (laughs) it will be interesting to see whether or not he's going to find success because it's not as if the Bears offense is a world beater. 
you've got wide receivers that you don't really need to worry about. You've got Dontrell Inman, who's, you know, relatively new to the Bears. You've got Kendall Wright and you've got Josh Bellamy. No one scares you. Right. No one's and no. You, you, like this isn't you've got high draft picks in, in white, but he's injured. You've got the, their wide receiving core is, you know, I mean, it, it's not good. I it's mean, just yeah, not good. Maybe worse than we're at. right? Yeah, now. I yeah. was I was going to say that, but I didn't want to go on that limb because it's, it's especially with all the injuries that literally it's close is is bad. What went through my head was their wide receiving core is actually worse than. And then I thought, do you include Pierre Sunday night? And then it was like, no, I'm just going to go ahead and stop that train <laughs> of thought. Go ahead and, and, and pause that. But they're really going to rely on Jordan Howard. That yeah. that's going to be their offenses as Jordan Howard goes and Cohen. Their offense, and, yeah, and Cohen, Cohen, right? Yeah, they're running backs. Yeah. So that's going to be whether I think that's going to be where Mitsubishi can can make his money. And are they going to be able to roll him out? Is that are they going to move the pocket because they're worried about what Buckner can do along the interior? I mean, if if you look at what Buckner is going to be going up against, he's going to be going up against Josh Sitton and, and their offensive line, which isn't bad. If you go across that line, you've got Lino Jr. sitting white hair, long and massy and sitting being the best one across that line. But this may be a game where they try and protect Trubisky, knowing that they might have a slight advantage on that offensive line compared to our, our defensive line and not worry about throwing to their you know pedestrian and wide receivers. Definitely. And I think that'll be actually kind of fun to watch uh, Foster as well in this game. I mean, Foster is always you know, someone, someone that you're keeping an eye on and paying attention to. And he kind of flashes a bit, um, but kind of flashes a bit, kind of flashes. The a dude bit. kept up Every with the wide a receiver. The dude kept up with Tyler Lockett on a route from the slot. Is that, is that good? That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty I, good. I, I think that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, but he's the guy. So playing as the will linebacker, he ends up, um, you know, going against running backs more often than tight ends because, well, playing weak side, playing away from the tight end. If you have a, an inline tight end, that's why you see guys like Eric Reed playing strong safety that matches up with the tight ends uh, a little bit more often. So he's going to see those running backs a decent amount in coverage. Um, and so I think, yeah, what I mean, Cohen's been one of the better receiving threats as a running back this season. Jordan Howard obviously can do damage there as well. So um, that'll be just kind of a fun matchup thing to watch. Yeah, Tariq Cohen's kind of had up and down, obviously. He started the year on fire, yeah. but then he, he's tailed off quite a bit, and his snaps per game have gone down over the course of the year as well, which is which is interesting. He still grades out really well uh, based on Pro Football Focus's charting. He grades out at 74.5, slightly ahead of Jordan Howard. But if you've got Jordan Howard on your fantasy team, you know that as, the, as Jordan Howard goes, the Bears go. You know that if Jordan Howard is going to get you like 20, 30 points, it's because the Bears are winning, and the Bears have won a game. And then the Bears lose, and he gets you like two points. It's it's <laughs> maddening. It's frustrating. Uh, that this is the life of having Jordan Howard as your running back. But you know that's neither yeah. here nor there. Uh, we we don't always give fantasy advice on this show, but as we depart here, is there any fantasy advice that you'd give uh, you'd give 49ers fans maybe for daily fantasy or for anything? Like, would you start Jordan Howard? I would mean, you start Tariq nor- Cohen. Normally, you're saying play your you know your your players against the Niners. Play uh, your slot receivers, which has always been a refrain. But I don't know that the Bears have anyone that's good enough to yeah. like. They're just not gonna throw. I mean, if they win this game, um, it, it's not gonna be because Trubisky threw for like 400 yards, right? And yeah. you got receivers putting up big numbers and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know that this is a. I think this is probably a game you want to stay away from fantasy wise. Like, there's Fair. just not gonna be a lot of offense. There's not gonna be a lot of big numbers, um, and I think it's gonna be gonna be tough to find production from that aspect. I mean, I'm still gonna start Jordan Howard. Yeah, I mean, start Jordan Howard, sure. Yeah, yeah like he's going to be... If you have Jordan Howard, you probably have to start Jordan Howard anyway. I do. So you're not really... Uh, 
you're not really having to make a decision there necessarily. But yeah, with the other guys where you're like, okay, am I going to take a chance on a guy that's not really that good, but has a good matchup? I'm probably staying away. Yeah, it's definitely Jordan Howard because I have zero other running backs in that league. It's actually kind of crappy. Uh, but yeah, that that I think about does it for this week's edition of the we Better Rivals prediction? podcast. What's the what's the what's oh, the yeah. line? I forgot. Do we have a line? Let me. Uh... I haven't looked at the line. No, but I I am one game ahead of you in the prediction. I'm four and six because I went full optimist two weeks ago and it paid off against the Giants. You did. You were at three and seven. So what's the line? It's it's in Chicago. Yep. So yep. I feel like um, they're probably going to be favored a little bit. Yeah. They're, so they're they they get the home point advantage, basically even team. So it's a it's a three point favorite. Uh, for Chicago currently. It looks like they opened a little bit higher. Opened it like five and a half. And then Jimmy um, Garoppolo got announced. Jimmy Garoppolo got announced down to three immediately. Uh, ah, man, I don't know. this. So I think this is the, 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 the game that they... This is the last game on the schedule that they have, I think, like a real sh- shot to win. Maybe yeah. they get an upset, you know, with one of the other ones, but it wouldn't be something that you would expect going in. Um but it being on the road, I think I'm still probably going to go. I'm going to go Chicago. Yeah, and I think they probably cover that. Win. Um, I mean, it's going to be, again, like I've said multiple times at this point, low scoring, not a lot of points. But I think I think they end up pulling it out. I'm going to go ahead and say that the 49ers are going to install their Firefox browser. Make sure they get that upgrade right and end up covering, if not outright winning. Uh, I hope so, and uh, and I think they're gonna they're gonna get that win. It's gonna knock them a couple pegs out of that second spot for the draft. But then the Giants uh, are gonna end up probably taking that anyway by starting Geno Smith because that's gonna be a disaster. So <laughs> I think that the, yeah, I mean, hey, the Giants won. Wait, they have the tiebreaker. No, no, we have the tiebreaker. We no, have we the won. tiebreaker. Right. Yeah, I we keep won. Forgetting that we actually we won. won a game. Now, uh, now the problem is, and I was actually running through the scenario in my head. So right now we have the second spot. They've got the third. Uh-huh. If we win against the Bears and they lose, we're tied. We end up moving the third overall. Yep. That reduces our, our trading partners for that quarterback pick, basically. It, makes it, tough. it does make it tough because then you're you're basically down to anyone who wants to jump above uh who I think like Miami and the New York Jets at that point are the teams that are looking for quarterbacks that are going to be drafting after the Niners because the Giants and the Browns would be drafting above the Niners. But if there's two quarterbacks that everyone's lusting after, oh then God. those are the two. And so, the, the Giants don't have many. I mean, you're not really expecting them to win. Maybe maybe against the Blaine Gabbert-led Arizona Cardinals in Week yeah. 16, that's like the only one. But, uh, you know, Raiders, Cowboys, Eagles... Uh, Redskins is the other ones. So yeah, and and I think uh, that when you look yeah. at quarterback needy teams, there's probably four or five in the top ten, uh, and and I think you know two of them are going to be near the top. If Chicago and and Cleveland end up near the top, you want the Niners to be at that second spot because that gives been, them leverage. There, that gives yeah, them I mean, leverage. A lot of the big trades, especially recently, right? Like yeah. uh, have been for that number two pick. Um, and the danger, of course, where you can really extract a lot of things, unless, of course, you're fleecing the bears, is is by saying, hey, if you want your dude, you've got to go up above this other team that's also going to draft a quarterback because you don't know who they want and they yeah. might take your dude. And and so you've got to get above them. And so the, staying at two means getting above the Giants. And so if, if someone's like, OK, you got to get above the Giants if you want your dude, that's that's the most leverage position outside of maybe number one, but I would still say it's it's still pretty leverageable at that point. Yeah. But if we if we beat the Bears 
and then the Giants, you know, f- go full tank and they and they go Geno mode, then you know that's I think that it's going to be very different. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? One in fifteen. Let's do it. It's best. It's best for the long term. We got we got a win for morale. That's right against the Giants. Uh, that's that's good enough. It'll be all right. Uh, so thanks for tuning in again this week to the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. That's exactly right. So we will be. Uh, or actually, I forgot. Leave us a review on iTunes. We're nearing the end of the year. We've got to coast on reviews, basically, yeah. for the last four weeks over through the course of the year. It helps other people find the show on iTunes or on Google Play, and it makes it easier uh, to get some more listeners to hear all of this hopefully fantastic 49ers analysis. Always remember, too, that Eric Branch still loves Jimmy Garoppolo. Actually, I, yep. I think I think his love deepened over the course of the show. Uh, and, and, yeah, uh, let's have a good Sunday. Let's have a win Sunday, whether that win is in the game or in draft position. (laughs) And as always, go Niners. I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.